My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was a graphic novelist. Including the following conversation, apparently, I've mentioned more than a few times the days I spent as a kid lying on my floor, listening to records and drawing for hours. Hours and hours. Here's something I never talk about, though. Why I stopped. Why would I stop doing something I love so much? Something that was productive and so tangibly satisfying. Even when I was supposed to be paying attention in class or doing homework, I got some stuff done. Doodle, draw, ink, move on to the next image. I see it in my head, I draw it on the page. Most of the images associated with the crucified, those images originated on my floor. Minor Threat and Youth Brigade records playing in the background. The t-shirts, stickers, skulls and swords and whatever. Demons choking. (laughs) Inserts of cassettes. You know, the demos take up your cross and nailed. And of course, the cross and crown of thorns emblem appearing on tattoos all over the place. All those things born on my floor or in class. Yeah. Uh, Once upon a time while sitting in Algebra 2 with my nemesis, Mrs. Rylon. I remember you, Mrs. Rylon. Going on and on about something. Trevor Palmer, original bassist for The Crucified. Pre-Mark Johnson, pre-Jeff Ballou. Trevor and I designed a 7-inch sleeve for Nailed that never saw the light of day. And I still think that was more productive and certainly more satisfying than anything the mean old bully Mrs. Rylon could have taught me. So why did I stop? I have no idea. The truth is, I've never discussed it because I don't really know. I don't think I just stopped, like cold turkey. I think the romance, the optimism of my artistic endeavors, I think it sort of died a slow death. And sure, it was replaced with other things, music in particular, girls also, but there was definitely some dying, okay? I went to college thinking I'd find a way to really take hold of my artistic abilities, forge a place for my ideas that was, at least I thought at the time, was more of a sure thing than than selling my paintings in the mall or at the county fair. Yes, this was an actual (laughs) debate that I had in my mind. Should I do this or sell painting? Whatever. So graphic arts it was, okay? But when I found out that In 1987, mind you, graphic art was literally cutting and literally pasting pieces of paper to other pieces of paper. I lost all interest. I think at the time, Adobe Illustrator was like not a thing. Look, I hate the feel of glue on my fingers, okay? That's all there is to it. And fine art classes, no less disappointing. Art teachers with axes to grind, joints to smoke. The image I had of art professors died as soon as I met the ones at Fresno City College. (laughs) Mr. Krieger, I still remember you, you schmuck. Mr. Krieger ran the entire program. He made Mrs. Rylon look like Morgan Freeman and lean on me. Total douche rocket. Also, there was a certain pastor back in those days, my pastor actually, who asked me what I wanted to do with my life. When I told him I'd like to be a graphic artist, His reply was, why? What if you're asked to design something that is unpleasing to God? What then? I mean, geez, man. Talk about taking whatever wind might have been in my sails right out. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure that that pastor would like that comment back. We all grow, I hope. But the point is, circumstances led up to a death, the death of my desire to draw pictures. So I just sort of slowly stopped until soon my only artistic output was the occasional doodle in one of about a hundred sketchbooks, all purchased with the idea of reigniting my love affair with a pencil and eraser. I seriously have probably a hundred of them, each with like three pages drawn on. But lately, I don't know, something is changing. Something is changing in my head. I've probably created more visual art over the last year than I had over the last 20. Still nowhere near enough for my liking. I mean, pathetic output, really. But something is definitely happening there. I think part of it is the company I've been keeping here and there, now and then. Conversations with guys like Ryan Clark, Phil Holt, a friend and tattooer here in Central Florida, and prolific as one could hope to be. Joshua Smith, a.k.a. Hydro 74. He's the guy responsible for the majority of the images you may have seen during the Staves Acre crowdfund, including the album cover. And my buddy Josh Bumpgaletta, whose website, bumpgaletta.com, I mentioned on the show here before. Boom. These guys, and, and many others, truthfully, they rub off on you. Time spent with people who grind this much and this hard in any capacity, even just a text or a conversation here and there, it inspires There's no other way for me to see it. It's not just that they're artists, accomplished each in their own right, but that they do the work necessary to make something cool in a time like right now, when so little is actually made. I mean, think about that. Stylistically, you may or may not dig what any of them are doing, okay? But that's art, and it's not even the point. The point is, you cannot deny the work that they put in. It's what separates the I can draw a crowd from the I make cool shit crowd. And I like the latter crowd way better than the former. Don't we all? Besides, talking about what I used to do, that kind of always sounds the same, right? I used to be blah, blah, blah. No one cares. I want to be about what I am. Which brings me to my guest this week. Definitely a doer, as you'll hear. Joshua Howard, he of the Dead at 17 graphic novel series. And incidentally a major contributor to the artwork for Staves Acre's lost album, How to Live with a Curse. More on that in a moment. Josh knows the grind, okay? While I was stoked to hear his story and, of course, do a little reminiscing with him and the Dallas days, I thought he might be an inspiration to anyone out there, pursuing anything in the visual or otherwise, really. Pursuing art, there is a grind. The grind is real, but it has immediate payoff. Something in your hand, man. In a finished image or a lyric or a story right before you, and eventually possibly more. That potential, the potential for more, at least to me, is the most exciting thing about doing anything. That doing anything often leads to more than you imagined. And Joshua knows a thing or two about the satisfaction that that brings. Okay. When we had this conversation, his Dead at 17 was being discussed for a web series. We weren't able to discuss it at the time, it was super secret and whatnot eventually going to make a jump to TV, la la la. But now, while you're listening to this show and you hear the many starts and stops, know this. Dead at 17 has been shot as a web series with potentially much more to follow. Know that as you're listening. Keep in mind that this guy's drive and passion did not enjoy the luxury of that information. Get a little inspiration, you know, like I mentioned, just let it rub off on you. 
then go and do. Oh, and stick around for a little bonus song and quiz at the end of this bad boy. Something you may or may not have heard. It was supposed to fit in here, but I just couldn't find a way to make it work and thought, hey, this song, this album, this band ruled. Why did so many people dismiss this record? We'll get to that later. But first... I mentioned that Josh had done a bunch of artwork for the quote-unquote lost Stavesacre album, How to Live with a Curse. Well, he may end up doing the new cover because we have, by some bizarre providence, acquired this title and are re-releasing the album on our own. As those who participated in the crowdfund for the new Stavesacre album, the one that has yet to be recorded, as you have already probably learned, How to Live with a Curse will be available in all formats very soon. And yes, the new album, again, the one that has not been created, has funded. So that bad boy is happening. It is tentatively titled something. (laughs) I don't know what. I have no idea. I have an idea, but we're not firm yet. So it will be appropriate. How about that? I just wanted to say thank you to any of you never was who took part. Thank you. And also to tell you that in the meantime, you can enjoy an album you most likely did not even know existed. How to Live with a Curse will be available on the new Stavesacre web store. I mean, honestly, we put a video up on Stavesacre Facebook page. Uh, it's for a song called It's Beautiful Once You're Out Here. And people thought it was the new record. <laughs> that does not bode well for uh, the exposure that Curse got. So go to our Facebook page. There'll be links and info and such as, as, uh, as those things become available. But yeah, it's coming. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More to come on the new album as it happens, right here. To the two folks who purchased the Never Was Interview Tears on the Stavesacre crowdfund, get ready. I'm coming at you. Brush up on your favorite color and all the pertinent details of your life. The Never Was's expect drama and inspiration. Come correct. I'm just kidding. Be yourself. We're going to have fun. Now, Josh Howard. Enjoy. I am in Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, do uh, do I have to make that distinction? Do you guys care? Technically, you're in Grapevine. If you're kind of that sounds technical. really hick, though. It Grapevine does. is is Grapevine not? It's probably off the map of coolness. Uh, it's known for Grapevine Mills, a giant mall. Oh yeah, that's like right by here. Yeah, right? and Bass Pro Shop. Oh, who who doesn't need another Bass Pro Shop? Well. I swear they put them everywhere where this tour goes. There's like a hundred of them or a Cabela's uh-huh. or a field and stream or all three. Yep. They have them in the same town. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just want one pair of forest green North face zip off pants. Is it that much to ask? But I don't want to pay $80 for them. Okay. So, well, we're, we're near Dallas, which is a place very near and dear to my heart. And I'm talking to Josh Howard who is, I don't know, I showed up at the hotel. The dude was just in the lobby waiting to come in here. Actually, no, Josh has been sitting in my hotel room with me 
in uncomfortable silence for about 40 minutes while I figure out what the hell to do with this recording settings. Dear Macintosh, if you put two USB ports in your laptop, you should just be able to plug two mics in there and go. Okay. Just throwing that out there. So Josh, well, I want to tell people where they would know you from in case they don't know, because they totally do. If you're a Staves Acre fan, you know, Josh, because he did three panels in the artwork for How to Live with a Curse. That was probably where we had like most of our conversations, right? Yeah. I mean, we met before that, obviously, but not really like just more like, hi, how are you? Hey, what are you doing by our van? We're having quite a time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but you're, you're, you know, you've been to the door a few times, right? I mean, uh-huh. a number of times for those shows that we played over there. Josh and I, I don't know how, how did I find out that you were an artist? I can tell you. I, I remember because uh, this was back in the MySpace days. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I found you on MySpace Ooh. and I was like, I'm going to send him a friend request. Well, I can't remember how it worked. Okay. Yes, I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I looked at my stuff? You know, just a long shot. Yeah. And so I did. I sent you the request. And then it was not a couple of days later, you sent me a, an email. It's like, hey, I like your stuff. We should do something. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, are you serious? Oh, yeah. I called down from on high. <laughs> I had my people get a hold of your people. Well, you don't understand, though. I mean, uh, your music, I mean, uh, especially all the, the tall tooth and nail thing. I mean, back, it just came along at the right time. I was like getting out of high school and it, it really, you know, had a big impact on not just my me life, too. but like my art and stuff. So, hey, me too, man. You know, yeah, I thought I was done. <laughs> I was done. So, okay. So we talked through the uh, futuristic program, program. No one says program, Mark. Through MySpace, which is now so long gone that people listening to this might not even remember it. <laughs> Although most of the people who listen to this were on MySpace. Don't act like you weren't. We talked on there. Was that during when we were doing the How to Live with a Curse? Had we already started working on that? Yeah. You had already, I think you already had it going. So you were, knew what you're looking for, I think. So, okay. But had I met you at shows and stuff before? Yeah. And, I mean, I mean but you, you had, probably don't remember. I mean, I'm callous to asshole, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, but I met you like two or three times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, we talked at the thing and I freaking, all right. This goes out to three people Josh, who's sitting in my hotel room right now. Jarrell, I want to say J-R-L was the way he spelt his name. And then Tony Streeter, all three, and actually Peter Peter Melby, who was doing our website at the time, uh, contributed artwork to the uh, to the How to Live with a Curse album. And Century Media Group never paid you any money. <laughs> <laughs> all of you guys, I know it. If there's any way I can do anything about it, I will totally do that. Josh was one of the dudes who got jammed up. And I'm sure it was, it probably wasn't even, it was probably like 500 bucks, man. And they couldn't just send you a check or something. It, it, it just. It's okay. You sent me some shirts and some stickers <laughs> and stuff. <It> our- <laughs> <laughs> I sent you some shower curtain rods. <laughs> oh man. Stage sticker bathrobe. Yeah. Sweet. No, I mean, Hey, working, I mean, not getting paid as an artist is basically par for the course. That's usually yeah. how it goes. Or. We'll give you money at some point down the line, you know, it's sure. so anyway. Because it's the same with all, it's always the same. I mean, for whatever reason, people are a little more willing, a little more willing to pay certain kinds of artists and less willing to pay other kinds of artists. I still think that people have in their mind 
that anyone who illustrates anything is just some kid laying on his floor because that's what I was when I was doing all the stuff early on. Clearly you're not. I mean, so we're talking dead at 17 is primarily what you're known for. Right. The graphic novel series. And then there was another one Mm -hmm. that I think you gave me. Yeah. I did. I did black harvest. Okay. Black harvest. Yeah. That was just a one, one shot graphic novel. Okay. We're going to talk about dead at 17 for sure. But I was hoping to just, I want to talk about Dallas and about the early days too. I mean, whatever you want to talk about, we're going to do. All right. your thoughts on the door did you like that place at all um this is in deep ellum now this is the door came along quarter after my prime of going to shows all the time okay. you know so i was like you know that's in dallas i'm in arlington so it's kind of a drive and i right. had kids by then so i didn't get out there a whole lot to the door did you go to god's place god's place was more my scene okay yeah. okay that's my I, I mean we still have i still have buddies that i know from there yourself i mean i I don't really want to say people's names, but I mean, I still talk. There's still people that I talk to, two of whom I will be meeting. Uh, Honesty and Rojas, I'm talking. I'm saying your names. You're known. I hope to meet up with them while I'm out here because, you know, those were great shows, great times. And that those first Godsplay shows, man, there were so many kids at those things. Yeah. That was... <laughs> I mean, I wonder if, if how much MXP, because I mean, we came in through with MXPX and I mean, they... they sold that thing it was packed yeah you know out in the middle of nowhere and they told us before we came out you know oh you're, you're gonna watch you're gonna like it you watch watch what happens you know that was pretty that's pretty cool little setup down there how long did were you going to that church no i in fact i lived even farther away i mean i lived um about 45 minutes to an hour away but i, I just moved here from the pain of texas to go okay. to school i went to the Came here to go to the Art Institute of Dallas. All right. And then just got plugged into the scene just like right away, you know. Um, so I would drive out to God's Place every weekend or whenever there were shows. And, sure. You know, all the time. So What was that pastor's name that ran that joint? Do you remember? Um, if you gave me enough time, I could think of it. But uh, He was such a sweet dude. Yeah. I mean, and he took care of the bands really well. He was always really nice to everybody. And by take care of the bands, I mean that. He was nice to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no like... It was nothing grand. It was just a cool guy. And I mean, he loved doing those shows. My gosh, all those kids. That's a lot of... You have how many kids now? 
Got three kids now. So imagine, uh, you know, an entire, you know, youth facility packed full of all of them and you're just in charge of them. No big deal. You're just the one who's responsible for every one of those little guys. Yeah. So, okay. So what are we talking about here? Let's get some time, you know. What was that first? That'd probably be like 96, 95. 90, I think 90, 95, 96 was the first time I remember seeing you guys. And that was before the album even came out, your first album. This is during, pre, or after art school and all. This is during art school. Okay. So when did you start in art school? You, 95. 95. When yeah. did you start drawing? Just since you were a little guy? Since I was a little kid. Like always drawing. Like didn't think about anything. It was anything special or anything unique about it. You know, I was always doing it. But my parents seemed to encourage me like, yeah. Oh, you're really good. And I had no frame of reference, you know? So I just kept doing it, you know? But I think it's something most kids do. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I didn't see it, seemed like it was like that big of a deal, but kept doing it. And um, it was, in fact, it, I was going to, I wanted to be a director for the longest time. That was, you know, my goal. But then I was 11, 12, and Tim Burton's Batman came out. Nice. And that just opened it up for me, just changed. I mean, I was like, yep, that's it. Comic books. Yeah. I don't know. I just knew. Like from that point on, sweet, yeah. So, what did you re- were you a comic book reader when you were a kid at all, or no, not really. I mean, my brother was, and the only comic books I read were Transformers and GI Joe because I love the toys. I had nothing to do right. with it, you know. Right. So, but at that point, it was just like I went and got everything I get my hands on. Yeah. You know, I just went all in. So, how old are we talking now? Like, this is like what 12, 12, 11, 12, old, yeah. Sure. So, so then you you're reading a couple comic books, you are watching the cartoons. You yeah, had to watch yeah, those cartoons. Yeah, right? Definitely. Decided that's what you want to do. And then you actually did what you wanted to do and started going to school. And how did you feel about that? Was that experience good for you as an artist? I mean, did you feel no. like you expanded? No. <laughs> was it a waste of time? Yeah, it was. And money, <laughs> and money I will never pay back. <laughs> those bastards. Well, okay. I, we'll see. Like At the time... You know, because you know they wanted me to go to school, but like, there's not really a school for comic books. I mean, there, there's one. I think there's one or two, but they're like super far away from where I was. So I went for um, computer animation. Okay. You know, that way I can have a, something I can fall back on, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I was there as a two year school, and I quit a year and a half in. No kidding. Yeah, I know, so close. But basically, I just I ran out of money. I was having to. So you're are you paying for this yourself? Uh yeah, I mean Holy I had smokes. some financial aid, but you know student or loans or whatever. But so I had to pay make monthly payments that it just it wasn't happening. And then, well, I just kind of got married, had a kid on the way, um, and I just wasn't I wasn't liking the computer animation. Once we got to that part of it, I wasn't. I realized I, I don't want to do this. You know, comics is what I want to do. Um, so you you got you got to the animation part, yeah. which I think some people will probably would dream of doing mm-hmm. and then you did it wasn't happening for you yeah in fact the, the first whole first year there it was like basically teaching people how to draw and it was like things i already knew right, and it right. felt like it's just a waste of my time you know so just not a good experience all around um <laughs> <laughs> oh man so you got major school debt on that one? Oh yeah major like yeah Oof. it's bad <laughs> well, like the reason why i asked me i, I had a buddy who uh I have a buddy who was a tattooer, right? And he, he started off tattooing and stuff like that. And he was, you know, he did a couple of pieces on me and all the guys back in Huntington Beach is, you know, 94 or something, 95 or something like that. And, but he, he just kind of felt like he had reached a point where it just wasn't really happening for him or he, he wasn't really that interested in it. And then he went to a school of design, like, you know, art institute or something like that. Yeah. It seemed what he brought out of that was at least a way to, 
to fully fully realize the images that were in his head. And that's like, you know, when I am reading your stuff, you know, it's, it blows my mind to know, like, you know, I drew all my whole life as a kid. I, I drew all the time. Mm. But the idea of filling every frame, with, you know, and, and taking it to the furthest extent, do you attribute that to your to schooling at all? Or is that just your own? Story? No, no. I mean, the only thing I'd got from school is being introduced to Photoshop. Okay. Um, it was like a Photoshop, I don't know, two or three back then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was introduced to Photoshop and that really, you know, enabled me to learn. Because basically I do everything myself. I don't have a colorist. I don't have an inker. I do it all myself. And that's. You do the whole thing. I do all of so it. So the the image that we have from like what was it? What's the Kevin Smith movie with the Oh uh um, Mallrats? Chasing Amy? Whichever one where Jason Lee is constantly, you know, <laughs> defending his position. A tracer. A, a tracer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have a, a you don't have a tracer. I'm my own tracer. You're your own dude. Yep. I I'm blown away. That blows my mind. Seriously. I mean, not that I have any idea. I just thought somebody else did all that stuff. Yeah. Typical. You know, well, typical mainstream comics. That's how it goes. Okay, so let's uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. So you're in school, wasting your time. Uh, you hear about these bands playing at these playing these shows. I mean, how did you get introduced to that music at all? Um, well, you know, okay, I grew up, you know, Christian home, surrounded by that stuff, but I didn't I didn't know wasn't aware of any of this stuff. It was just like Carmen. That was like <laughs> oh, you know, God, Striper. Yeah. That was oh, about the yeah. extent of it, you know. But it was um, it was at a church camp. On my, after I graduated my senior year, I don't know why, I went to a church camp after my graduation and I met this girl there. She showed me this magazine. I think it was HM, uh, HM. Heaven's, Heaven's Metal. Yeah. 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 And it was just, she showed me this, it was just filled with this stuff. I, it was a whole world I didn't know existed. Like, no kidding. I'm from a tiny town in the panhandle. So I basically just went and tried to get by as much stuff as I could find. I mean, you know, anything. And just thank you for doing that. It kept a lot of us alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I bought everything I get my hands on. So, yeah. and it was, back then it was really hard to find the stuff, though. It was. I mean, you know, a band has to come into to town and play, right? And nine times out of ten, when that band comes into town, they don't even have any merch anyway. <laughs> Two shirts, in, uh-huh. which you already have. But then you go to the festivals, and it's just like, oh, dude, I got to bring like four hundred dollars this time. I mean, that was me, man. When I my first festival I played was with the Crucified, but I came there trying to find some cool stuff. There just wasn't anything. Yeah, how many different Res Band shirts can I buy? <laughs> <laughs> Who was the first band that you heard, and you just kind of this is going to work for me? The first band I think I found was Starflyer. The Gold Album was the first one I found, and then it was after that it was Teenage Politics, MXPX. Sure. And then I don't remember after that, but kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, but those Starflyer records. When that band came out, I didn't I didn't know anything about them or anything. And the loyalty that people have to that band and those, especially that the silver and gold albums, man. Yeah, silver is my favorite. Still to this day, still to this day, people are are so all about those records, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
been a couple months of me moving down here. MXPX was playing. And this did the person who brought you this magazine, They did they tell you about these shows as well? Or? Yeah, because okay. they had lived, she... She, she would go on to be my future ex-wife. Okay. Um, All right. Now we're getting some. <laughs> yep, now here we go. Now she, here's, it's weird. She had, been, she had been living here and then moved to where I was living in the Panhandle. Okay. I was on my way out moving here to school. So we kind of crossed paths this church camp so she told me oh where to go where to see you know about all this stuff so okay i was here where she had been all right you know she was up there until eventually she moved back and then okay and then you guys had wedded bliss for a time for a time for a time okay yeah i mean you know i'm just i'm just hanging out man just trying to find, <laughs> how find deep you want to go with this <laughs> <laughs> as deep as we can buddy uh okay at some point in there though you have to start knuckling down and and really doing some stuff right i mean yeah um it's a lot of work you're talking about comics yeah 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 so so i get married probably before i should have but um i did it we didn't have a job at the time so we were like what are we gonna do so we were looking for work she found a job before i did and then it was kind of like why don't you she's like once you focus on your art see if you can get that going you know and go from there and so i did and i spent about a year let me back up a little bit. Like up until this point, I'd been submitting my stuff to companies like Marvel DC okay. and they have you basically draw like four or five pages of their characters, you know, that okay. no original work okay. has to be their stuff. And so I would do that, get rejected every time. And I just was not having fun. I didn't want to draw their stuff. You know, yeah. it was not, How, what a dud. Yeah. And it was just, I came to realize, I mean, I thought at one point I was like, I just want to draw whatever, you know, but I realized I didn't like that. I wanted to do my own thing. I had sure. my own stuff I wanted to do. So I was like, well, I'm just going to draw, make my own comic and just start from finish and see what I can do. So I just started drawing stuff and didn't really have a plan and uh, just kind of took my influences, things that I was into at the time. And Evil Dead, you know, nice. was like a big influence at the time. And then uh, Twin Peaks, I remember from being a kid that really kind of burned itself in my brain. And there was all these things kind of come to the surface and... So it ended up just being, you know, a girl fighting monsters and zombies and that thing. So yeah. I started just, I made it up as I went, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I started drawing it and it took me about a year, start to finish because I was working, you know, and then I, I ended up getting a job at a comic store during this time. So I draw my breaks, you know, all this stuff. Was so, that a lot of the guys at the comic store as well doing the same thing? Were a lot of them? Um, one of them, yeah, but not to the extent that I was doing, you know, like I was really driven, you know, I just really felt it was... This is what I need to do. Yeah. So it took me about a year and I finished it. And I kind of I printed up some at Kinko's. It was a little black and white thing and gave it out <laughs> to people. And that was kind of it. Um, around that time, <laughs> my marriage started to Oof. fall apart. Okay. So I had reached the finish line for this thing, but then it kind of fell by the wayside because... Well, what, what happened there, man? Did it just... You guys were too young or was it, you know... I mean, that's probably part of... That's the heart of it. But yeah, you know... I take my share of the blame. I didn't know how to be a husband. Yeah. You know, you just, you're just working your way through it. Like divorce is never something that even entered my mind. It was like not even a possibility, even though I came from a broken home and divorce is always it. Everyone I knew was divorced in my family. It was never something in my vocabulary. vocabulary. Yeah. It's like, that'll never happen. And then slowly things start to, like I said, I take my share of the blame, but she, I think, you know, found that she had other things she wanted to do. Okay. You know, and um, just became to where she was, you know, it's either me or these other people, you know? Gotcha. So we separated and I uh, thought, I still didn't think it was anything like permanent. It's like, I'll be back. And about a week later, I was like, hey, I'm ready to come home. And she just burst into tears. Like she had already moved on, I'll say. Okay. So, you yeah. know, so it was- I follow you. Yeah. It was devastating. And I was still not ready to like, because it was like, what? This is- um, 
not what I had planned at all. And we had a kid. So it's something I really wanted to salvage. You know, I realized I want to fix this. And so basically, you know, she wanted to have fun, do her thing. Basically, she was having bands would come and practice at the house. Bands would be in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him, you know, our son in that environment because I didn't know what was going on. So I took him and we, I went to stay with my mom for a little bit. Ended up in Arkansas, living with my grandma because she had a spare room. So <laughs> I lived there for a while. And this whole time, I'm trying to fix things with her. Okay. And she's just not having it. She's done. Yeah. But I'm not ready. And I, I'm not, you know, I refuse to give up. But those those few months are a very defining time in my life and the darkest time in my life. Okay. And it was um, when I really had to face a lot of things about what I believed and because I just don't understand why God would let that happen to me. You know, I yeah. was I was faithful. I was, you know, grew up as a Christian, never, you know, really, de- really departed from that. And I just didn't understand why would he let this happen. I didn't understand. I just kept praying over and over again. Why can't you fix my marriage? You know, why yeah. can't you, you can do anything? Why can't you fix this? You hate divorce. Yeah. What's up? And it was just like in my darkest moments, I would say, okay, I can't deny you exist. Even at the bleakest time, I know you're real. So what you say has to be true, but I'm not hearing you. Like, where are yeah. you? You know? So I just, you know, did the best I could. So your son is, how old are we getting here? Um, I, Probably about three. Okay. Yeah. And in the meantime, while you're going through this clearly <laughs> major, major life trauma, yeah. uh, what's going on with the art? Are you still pursuing it? And uh, A little bit. I mean, which is weird when I think like, uh, I still, yeah, I was still doing it, but I took a different turn. I was started drawing more. I guess you would call it indie comics, but a lot of darker stuff, more personal. Yeah. You know, a way to like <laughs> vent. <laughs> exactly. Man, let and, it out. Yeah. And so it was not my typical stuff. Um, very not mainstream at all, but it was just how I was dealing with it. Sure. It's, I mean, I guess, so I guess, you know, you know, during all that time talking to God, trying to figure out what the heck was going on, you know, yeah, God can't fix anything, but you know, it still takes two people. Sure. You know, that you can't, he's not going to force someone to do what they don't want to do. So that was a hard lesson to learn. Was that a realization that you had at one point though? Just like one day you just kind of wake up and go, dude, he's not going to make her. No, it wasn't that. There was a defining moment when I, and it was <laughs> probably my lowest point. I went to um, went to go visit her to, so that um, our son could see her for Christmas. And I had nowhere else to go. So I waited in the car while she had Christmas with him and her family. It was just a weird son of a what? Yeah, and it was cold. I'm just waiting, laying in the set in the car. She doesn't want me in there. And then I end up going to my parents' house, and <laughs> I'm on the phone with her in the bathroom. She basically says, "You're pathetic." And it was just oh. like a moment where I just thought, you know, this is not. Yeah, I mean, it's just it was. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of words I could think of that you might say at that time. There was, and um, but and I just it was that a moment when I said, okay. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And I moved on. Yeah. I started trying to rebuild some kind of life. I lost everything. I had a home, everything. And like, I had to start all over. I was sleeping on uh, the floor of my friend's house and living out of my trunk. <laughs> I'm getting pissed at this shit. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I mean, like you said, you share, you, you have your own share of the blame and I'm not trying to pile on to somebody, but damn. <laughs> <laughs> Those things 
this you have this moment where you it changes in your head did anything where, where did you turn with that come I, back to god start talking to him and say hey i, I didn't ever stopped i just didn't know what he wanted me to do mm-hmm. um but that i just made a decision at that point at that point technically i was still at my grandma's in arkansas all right so then i decided i wanted to move back to dallas where she was and because that's where my friends were that's where everything you know i knew was yeah and i was like i'm gonna go back and start to rebuild and that's where i was sleeping in my friend pat's house his spare room got a job. Way to go, Pat! Wherever you are, he will greatly appreciate that. You freaking rule, dude! <laughs> Took care of my guy. He did. Him and his dad. So, and basically, I would get my son whenever I could. You know, I wasn't working, and then just slowly started rebuilding things. Yeah, yeah. And in the midst of all this, this is where things get weird. <laughs> okay. And, and very Jerry Springer. So I would periodically have to go over to Max's house to drop off money for. You know, for my kid or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so he's with her. Uh, yeah, it's there's not an official custody ruling at this time. We, we haven't gone through a, a, the official divorce yet, so we're oh, kind of. You mean this thing is still? It's still there. It's not. Yeah, it's not legally. Oof. Yeah, done. So I'm going to you know periodically, and she has, she got a new roommate who I would sometimes talk to when I would call for talk to to Luke or whatever. Luke's my son, and she would always she would be there to take the money because she my ex would always be gone, and so. This girl was was freaking hot. 
And oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this girl, oh, <laughs> this, this girl is trouble. And I just knew I'm stay away from this girl for more. Re- I mean, just, mm-hmm. just don't go there. Um, I follow you. Yeah. But one night I'm dropping off the money. I was like, here you go. X is not there. So I'm dealing with her. So I'm getting my car. She comes running out saying, hey, wait a second. I was like, okay. She's like, my friend wants to meet you or whatever. I was like, okay. I don't know why. So anyway, it was just a thing where she had start, started to realize she did not like my ex either. Ah. Yeah. So she's like, we don't talk to you about stuff and things we've heard about you and what's true or what's not. And it just come to realize that, you know, a lot of things would be going around that I was like, well, this is why everyone hates me. Cause she's saying, <laughs> dude, yeah, I'm about to have to call the punk rock girls in. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, we ended up talking and we talked for hours and hours and hanging out. And it's just, uh, that's something that was planned before this moment for we had this conversation. We kept running into each other. Okay. Different places like end up at the same job, end up um, backstage at MXPX. I mean, through different people. I was back there with people who were associated with my ex and, um, but she came and talked to me. Okay. Even though no one's talking to me because the whole situation. Because it, uh, it turns out yeah. you're a son of a bitch. Exactly. That you didn't know you were. Right. And uh, yeah. But she, but she had compassion. She came and talked to me. Uh-huh. And, she, you know, so we had we had this thing going. Like, we kept just running into each other. So, yeah, we started talking. And then I, we have a good time. We end up going out. And then I find out she's getting shipped off to the Navy in a month. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I was like, oh, well, of course. That's 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 the old Howard Luck right there. So gone at Josh. Yeah. So okay. so yeah. So we hey, let's make I mean uh, we don't know if this is going anywhere. Let's just yeah. spend this month, see what, what happens. Yeah, the funny thing, like the the last night before she gets ships out, you guys are playing at the door. Oh, okay. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So we go and see. She had she didn't know anything about, you know. Yeah, that's, really that's most people, Josh. Most people. <laughs> it was weird to me. Was, <laughs> what? Okay. So, so yeah, so we go and see you guys, and it was just a weird, intense night. Just a lot of emotion. So it was just a... The show itself was a weird, intense night, or well, because, your time with this... Well, because, you know, she's leaving the next day. <coughs> yeah, you know, sure, sure. You know, sh- I don't know, it was just a lot of things, and uh, picked up your new EP, that had a couple of songs on there. It was really, like, spoke to us in the moment. Wow. Yeah. Which one was this? Um, Night Town. So that would have been like the split that we did with Dennis and Dennis Mars. Dennis and Mars, right. Okay. okay. Night Town and uh, what's the other song on there? Sad Parade. Not, not Sad Parade. Island. Island. Yeah, I wrote yeah, that for so. my old lady. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, look, yeah. Look at the romantic mark over here. Yeah. Well, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did that work out for you? Okay. It did. Okay. Okay. It, it did. So, uh, yeah. So there was uh, some sort of a connection yeah. was made. And then. She callously ran off to the Navy. She did. Yeah, broke my heart. And I was like, that's probably it. Mm -hmm. About a month later, she calls me. She's being medically discharged and coming home. No kidding. No kidding. Tell me there's going to be a, a, at some point, there's like a happily ever after there or something. We've been together ever since. Yes! (laughs) I love that. (laughs) All right. Yes, sir.
Okay, so this is that's how she became, and and she's Mrs. Howard. Now. That's right. Well, all right. <laughs> I like the way that turned around. <laughs> and she's, I mean, does she was she familiar with you or with your art? I mean, was she was she backing you? You know, I, and, well, I was and, still and nobody, but and, yeah, she was. I mean, she was supportive. I was kind of going through temp jobs at the time. This was so right after she gets back, nine eleven happens, and oh yeah, yeah. So she had been still in the, I mean, the Navy. There's no telling where she would end up. So anyway, so yeah, so work is kind of hard to find because things kind of go crazy. I'm sure you remember during that time. Like, yeah, yeah. So I ended up about, uh, I want to say, the next the next year, January, February, I'm looking for work. Still trying to get my art done. I think, you know what? What I'll just go online and see if there's comic book classifieds. Just, <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a retarded thing. But okay, let's go try this. So, and I found one. Okay. Okay, cool. And there was one. Local company upstarting in Dallas want local artists. All right. I was like, wow. Okay. So uh, this wanted you to send in a couple of drawings and I did and heard back and they're like, Hey, we want to hire you. And Laura says, this is it. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. So basically they hire me. They have, they're writing their own stories. They're starting their own comic book company. Okay. And they just want looking for illustrators to draw the stories they've written. So what is this company? They're called Viper comics. Okay. Um, so Go and meet with them and um, basically go from there. They say they're going to pay me to draw pages, you know? Cool. Job drawn comics. That's what I want. Sweet, yeah. So start doing that. Let's see. What are some of the titles that you worked on for them? It was their stories. They were never released. Ooh. So, uh, yeah. So I'm getting there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens? So I draw a few issues and then they basically, for comic books, you have to go through a process where you. Submit to Diamond Previews. Diamond is the distributor for all comic books. Okay. You basically have to submit to them to get in their catalog. That they determine if it's worthy of being carried, et cetera. So I can imagine there's probably quite a bit out there that is not worthy of being carried. There's things in there that probably shouldn't be in there. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so stay at Kinkos. Yeah. So <laughs> so they submit to them, and I've done about three issues at this point. You know, they wanted, I think they wanted, the threshold, they wanted three issues submitted. Okay. And they reject them. Oh. So it was just like, whoa. It was a blow to the whole company. I mean, they invested oh, a lot of money in this. But and it wasn't for my art, well, I found out. It was just because of the stories. You they know, they didn't feel them at right, all. Yeah. They kind of figure out what they want to do and say, salvage this thing. Meanwhile, in my portfolio, when I met, initially met with them, they saw my black and white Data 17. And they were okay. really impressed with it. And they really liked it. And they were like, how about, can we put this out? Can, what are, this is Diamond talking now? No, no, no. This, this is, is Viper. Viper. This okay. is Viper. Sorry. Um, they were really impressed with it. they're like, okay, well, how about we, can we put this out? What do we do something with this? And I was like, well, I'm kind of past that. I'm over that. I don't want anything to do with that. It was just kind of a thing that was. Oh, you were, this is old news to you. Yeah. It was just a thing on. I did, moved on. But they kept hounding me. And so, especially when this happened, it was kind of like, they really, you know, wanted me to reconsider so as a test, they printed up a big banner. We went to Orlando MegaCon, which is a big convention in Florida. Okay. And they just put it up to see what the reaction would be. And people went crazy for it. They wanted to, where's that book? Where's that book? We want to buy that. So they said, okay, we want to get this going. And I was like, okay, I'll do it, but I want to redraw it. I don't want to put out the thing I already did. I want to start all over, do it right. You know, and they're like, okay. And we agreed upon, I mean, they, they couldn't basically pay me because it wasn't their property. Okay. But they, they fronted me some money so I could take the time to... Yeah, so you could focus on it right, and get right. it done. The only problem was they needed it done in two and a half months. Okay. Like four issues. What, dude? What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> well, part of the deal is 
I pencil, I ink, I write, and I color it all myself. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a huge it's undertaking. It's a big deal. It is. Mark. The reason they needed that soon is because they had they had already paid for a table for San Diego Comic Con coming up that summer, which is the you know the show for comics. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right, San Diego Comic Con. Oh, you it's, mean San Diego? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I was there. I've been oh yeah! There. Well, hey, we saw, I saw you there one year. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, working Tim Biscum's twelve booth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, so they're scheduled for that, and they need to have a book by then. So they need okay. to have Diamond's approval. Okay. So that they can go there and actually, hey, this we have this coming out. So I bust my butt, and that was the most intense like two months. You know, I did, just went at it, and I finished. Got it turned in, and we were with the show, not knowing if it had been approved. So, so your business just winging a prayer. Exactly, they print up preview issues, the first five pages to give out. Just we're just going all so in. So conceivably, you could show up and down and be like, "What? What are you doing here?" Yeah, they, and they told us they would give us an answer at the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sweet, thank you. Yeah. You don't have a phone. Diamond's not uh, doesn't have a phone. I guess I don't know. It's just whatever. So okay. we go, we set up. And they come over and said, you're in. How'd you feel, dude? Top of the world. Yeah, you did feel pretty good. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was it. And so. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Dead of 17 comes out in a way that you like it, right? Yeah, right. You know, and you're happy with it and yeah. you're confident with it. And now the freaking grand poobahs have said, yes, we will distribute your comic from right. the mountaintop. Right. Uh, and then so you made millions of dollars. You've now retired. You got over here in a Lamborghini. Not quite. No. <laughs> But it was good for a while. Yeah, man. Came out a few months later that November. And now the orders weren't super high. We're an indie com- com- company, you know, yeah, indie yeah. first time, but respectable. And it sold out the first week. Sweet. Which is good. I mean, it's good for buzz, you know? And so people started, hey, what is this thing? What is so sell selling out? out's always good, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it got me some buzz. How did Viper feel? Oh, it was. They were probably flipping out. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I was golden boy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, save them from the brink. That's killer, man. Okay, so Viper's feeling great. Yeah. You're feeling great. Right. Laura's probably feeling great. Oh, yeah. You know, she's stoked for you. Right. Uh, and then what? So, um, yeah, it kind of becomes a little thing. I mean, I get a lot of buzz in the press, in the uh, comics press. And uh, so I finished the first first miniseries of four issues, finished that. And then I was planning to move on to something else. I had all these stories I wanted to do. Yeah. This was just going to be one thing. But it was catching on, you know, and Viper's like, you should do more. People like this, you know, I was like, yeah. okay. And I was contracted for 12 issues of Dead at 17 with them. So I was like, okay, might as well keep going, you know, ride this thing, you know? Yeah, man. I did the next one. And then, um, and also at the same time, the trade paperback for the first series came out, which is, you know, the collection of the first four right, issues. Right. And then I started seeing some cash, you know, like it was nice. Started getting, you know, regular checks from the sales and stuff. And it was, it was good. Did that series and then did another series, the third one. In between there, I was contacted by another company called Devil's Do, where I did Black Harvest. Okay. Um, I was contacted by DC Comics and did a book for them. DC. Yes. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're a little company, Upstart. Little, someday, maybe they'll... Someday. <laughs> but that's, that's a whole other side story, that whole adventure with them. Was it good? Yes and no. Um, it was started out good. Basically, they had me pitch some ideas. Uh, they were starting like a new subline called Minx. It was aimed at like teen girls. They thought Dead of 17 reaches that demographic. You can do that. So they had me pitch some stuff. I didn't know what I was doing, So, I, but I, I pitched one. They liked it, bought it for a lot of money. I, I mean, it was just, oh, cool. Okay. Uh-huh. So I start, uh, I write it and then uh, start working on it. And then I discover DC Editorial and what that 
than what uh oh geez. now viper there was no interference yeah you yeah. know but at dc there's three levels of editorial oh man yeah did they tear up your book it ended up just dying and never made it out i worked on that thing for like a, two years maybe and it just kept going bouncing back and forth between editors and I mean, dude, you're echoing every every scriptwriter in the biz. You know what I mean? It's you signed me because you like my story, and then you want to change my story. No, when's that ever going to change? Well, I even I said, hey, would you want to buy Data Seventeen? I mean, that already does what you want. Yeah. No, we don't take outside stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh is like, no, man, please. <laughs> Viper's like, yes, please. You should yeah. buy Data Seventeen. Yeah. Really? No, go for it. So. Now, give me a timeline here. Where are we at at this point? Um, so basically, I've taken a bit of a break from Data 17 and uh, Vipers put out some other stuff. Nothing's really quite taken off the same way. So I'm, I'm not doing anything with Viper while I'm working with DC because it's taking up all my time. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so eventually I kind of finished up that and said, I want to do more Data 17. Because um, I had finished my 12 contractual issues. Yeah. I realized I wanted to do more. I had more story I wanted to tell. So I had this ambitious plan to uh, do an ongoing series, which is, you know, not, not limited, just keeps going. Like yeah. a, and then alternate it every month with a new book called Lost Books of Eve that I really wanted to do. So it was this big, ambitious plan. I'll do two books, but they'll alternate every month, et cetera, because I was really anxious to do all this other stuff. So I start that, and then I think the financial crisis hit, and Viper takes a huge hit. You know, the entire arts community got pretty walloped on that thing, right. man. So there was that, and then I kind of I was got behind a little bit on my work. So it was just a perfect storm, and Viper pretty much ground to a halt as far as their publishing, at least for a bit. And so I started having to reconsider. You know, do I stick around, wait for them to pull out? You know, yeah. But a few years earlier, I'd been contacted by Image Comics, which is the third largest publisher. I know Image. Yeah, yeah. and the biggest they publish the indie books. I mean, yeah. They're like tooth and nail, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> for, for uh, yeah, right. But I couldn't. I was under contract at the time when they contacted me. So I thought, well, I'll see if they're still interested. So I call them up, and yeah, love to have you. So made the decision about to uh, pack up and go to uh, Image. Okay. Which was it was not an easy decision because I love the guys at Viper. Yeah. Even though there was bumps along the way, I, I mean, they gave me my start. I became friends with them. You know, we a lot of shows together. Was in there with them to thick and thin. You know. Yeah. So it was really hard. Um, especially when they were having trouble to like up and leave like that. But, you know, I had to do what I had to do, you know, yeah, and, like, man. Um, and I tried, you know, I made sure I left on good terms, you know, do you still have just Luke at this point or have you guys, I uh, know we have a baby at this point. So now you're, I mean, right. The, the responsibility is building, right. You know, obviously it seems like you would have a relationship just from what I'm hearing where they would understand that. I mean, were they, were you guys good? Were they good with you? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't easy, but I mean, we we left on good terms. I still talk to them every once in a while. I mean, yeah. So yeah, so go to Image, and they want to reprint the first everything I've done at Viper in one big book. You know, so like people get cut up for yeah. so that so we, we did that, and then launched a new series. That first book sold out, did really well, and I made the decision. I had, I had a decision to make when I went to Image was so I start all over. And reboot this thing for for new audiences, or to keep it going where, as it is. Okay. So I mean, I was like, I've invested in the story. I want to see it through to the end. I think a lot of people would have rebooted it. Now, and honestly, that probably would have been the best business decision to start all over. Right. Because I saw a quick drop off 
after towards the end of the first series I did over there. Okay. Because people I think expected, oh good, it's a new series, jump right in. But I don't craft my series to where you can just jump at any any point. It's meant to be read altogether. So I know it's a huge drop off. I think people What's going on yeah, here? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not what I wanted. But anyway, I keep going. At this point, I've, I've mapped out three more series, up to seven. And this um, is now when you say series, are you talking about within the framework of Dead at 17 or just. Yes, within Dead at 17. I, I do them as mini series. Okay. I'll do like, gotcha. you know, like four issues or whatever. And that's mostly just gives me a finite story art. Mm-hmm. And it's for my, it's my own sanity because after about four months of doing everything, crap out. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot of work. So. And mapped out four more series with them. That would be bring me to the end. I mapped out the rest of the series all the way to the grand finale. So I did volume five and then I did volume six, which even saw a bigger hit. And I was now in the hole with mm. image. I mean, I, the sales had just almost fallen almost like early Viper days. It was okay. just crazy. Like I, I didn't know exactly what it was. Like, was it just people not being able to follow along, you know, or not willing to? So it's confusing to me how if the if you have a fan base and they're following you while you're with Viper and you just continue the story on with Image, wouldn't they just cross over or do people are they just kind of loyal to? Uh, no, a lot of them did, and uh, I mean that's when you're not picking up new people and people inevitably be inevitably will drop off. Just, okay, you're always going to lose some people. You know, if if retailers aren't seeing the numbers that they want to see, they'll stop ordering. And that's where it's all at as retailers. You know, yeah. So it's just a. You know, perfect storm, I guess, of just this and that. And you know, I don't know if the content of my books was starting to turn, to turn people off. You huh. know, I have no idea. Yeah. You know what it all was, but they were, but they were cool. I mean, they said it doesn't matter. We want you to see it through. You know, we want you to get to the point. You finish this, put a big book with everything in it. I mean, sure, they're still supporting me, which is cool. I mean, they didn't have to do that, so they believed in it enough to, to keep going. So I finished book six. And then I have plans to shortly after that to go to book seven, do the grand finale. And then um, I guess I'll start working on it. And then one night, there's a knock on my door late at night, and it's the police. And they said, is your, is your wife here? Laura? Yeah, looking for Laura. I was like, I didn't know. I was like, why are they here looking for Laura? So the first thing that popped into my head, which is crazy because it's not her. I was like, is she dealing drugs on the side? What is <laughs> going on? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just didn't know what to. So um, this was like two in the morning, too. So what year are we at here? 2010. Okay. So go get her and they go, your father just committed suicide. Oh man. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, just a huge devastating blow. I mean, so that threw things off course a bit, um, dealing with that, um, which I would not wish on anybody. Yeah. You know, just a rough time. And comics was, just fell by the wayside for, sure. for a bit. So I ended up being out of the game for about three years. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, I was still drawing. I basically got to keep drawing to make money because I was, I was doing commissions, freelance work, but it's, there was no comics. I couldn't get that. Because once you're in the middle of like freelance work and commissions, it's hard to clear that. Because once you start doing comics, you're not getting paid. Yeah. You got to just work through it until you hopefully get to the end and you get some royalties. Okay. So it was just finding that right time to drop work Start start working again. So you're, I mean, you're obviously you're taking care of your wife and right. going through whatever she needs to go through there. Right. You know, plus balancing the babies. You know, yep. you got two kids still at this point. Still just two, yeah. And so, did you just pick up another job or something? How are you guys paying the bills? Well, she's working, and I'm just doing freelance work, like I said, and do it. I take commissions, like yeah, you know, people say, yeah, draw me this. Yep. Okay, yep. I'll draw that. You know, just 
whatever you got to do. Exactly. But stuff that's not requiring you to shut yourself off into a room for four months and bang out four issues or whatever, you know. I mean, I I wanted to get back to comics, but it was such a, like I said, it's hard to make the transition once you're like doing that stuff to say, okay, I'll stop taking paying work and stop working for four months. You know, stop getting paid for four months. Yeah. It took a while to finally make that happen again. For three years, uh, you're uh, how how is how is Laura doing here? I mean, um, I'm sure it's not doing better now, but at the time it took a. I mean, it was. It's, there's no way around it. It's, yeah, it's it sucks. It's gross, devastating. So many just emotions, like pissed off. You know, like, like how could you do this to yeah. your daughter and your grandkids? But it's, you know, you can't talk like that. You got to have, right. be compassionate and you got to be there for your wife because, you know, she doesn't want to hear how you're pissed off at her, <laughs> her dad, you know, like yeah, you just, yeah. you got to, but it's just hard to find that balance, you know? Yeah, man. And still to this day, you know, you got to just, it's just a. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, how did you get, I mean, what, what, how did you get back in and, and to where we are right now? Because. You are clearly not out of the game. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Based off of everything I can tell. I mean, how did that, how did you reset? Um, Well, so I kept, you know, trying to make a transition. Okay, I got to get back to comics. I get back to comics. You know, I feel like, you know, you you disappear. I mean, your career can pass you by, you know, just like that. You got to stay, you know, in the game or whatever. So I have plans. Okay, here's what I'm going to start back up. Well, then I get this email out of the blue from Mattel. Hey, we like your stuff. We want you to come draw Monster High. I don't know if you've heard of Monster High. I've heard of Monster High. Yeah. Wow. So we're doing a graphic novel. We want you to draw Monster High. I was like, oh, okay. And paying gig. Well, sure. well paying gig. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, and it was supposed to be around um, three or four months of time. 
I was like, okay, that's sounds good to me. I, I mean, should be good exposure, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I, I take that job. It turns out even in the biggest companies, things are... <laughs> of course, man. I've got it. <laughs> are more organized or well No well. way, dude. Once you get past the, the gilded gates as you come through, yeah. you notice that everybody's still making shitty coffee in the in the break room and uh one of those bathrooms doesn't work and you know what i mean yeah there's always cracks dude okay so it ends up being one of those things where i'm supposed to start at any time and then oh we're still working on the script still working on the script so i'm kind of in a holding pattern i've Waiting. got this job i need to start so i can't take any other work this could be starting at any time so <laughs> i know that one all the way dude <laughs> like i can't i mean i'd love to i'd love to do that but i just you know what do you what do you say hey mattel yeah. I got this side gig I got to do, you know, of <laughs> right. course. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this, during this time we were trying to, we're trying to buy a house, we're trying to get out of this rent, you know, rent hell that we're yeah. in. So it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I'm like, guys, I, I can't keep this going on forever. I got to make some money. So they eventually, the post has paid me half up front, half when I finish. They sent me the whole thing. So <laughs> that's pretty confident. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Before okay. I'd even st- really started. <laughs> So I was like, okay, well, this is our down payment for our house. Killer. So that's the plan. And then, um, so they, they finally get everything ready and they go, okay, we need this done next month. This is a hundred page graphic novel. Sweet. <laughs> right. We have our deadlines we have to make. So you need to have this done in a month. All right. I'm like, oh my God, I've already cashed this check. W- what am I going to do? Yeah. So I'm, I have like a panic attack. Am I going to send this all this money back? I mean, what am I going <laughs> to yeah. It's basically almost spent. I don't know what I'm going to do. Are you going to still do all the same, like like you've done everything before? All yeah. The, a drawing? Yeah. Color. Oh, oh, yeah. I know. I go, do you guys not understand? I can't just push a button and make this happen. I go, this is, I mean. <laughs> wow. So I finally said, okay, I'm out. I guess I'm going to send this money back to you. I'll pay it back to you in increments. Yeah. But I can't do this. So finally, okay, we'll get back to you. So finally, we renegotiate. I get, I, they finally give me the time. You know, it's still... A lot of give and take during that period. They still have some unreasonable expectations, but I finally push through, get it done. Okay. Um, get a house. Works out. And then I'm free to finally get back to Data 17. Do your thing. Yeah. You want to do. Yep. Is that where we are now? Pretty much. Um, it was a big undertaking because I decided I want to do seven issues for this finale instead of four. Okay. So I knew going in, it was going to really tax me, but I did it, made my deadlines. It was the work I'm most proudest of. I mean, yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I got it out. So you got your big finale, right? And then what is what is the culmination of all of that work? Good question. So somewhere along the way, I got it in my head that when I finish this thing, all the I don't know why, but all the big boys will come calling. I'll get a you know a nice gig, sure. Because I was tired of having to like because basically you have to hustle every month to make your money yeah. doing this comic thing or. Almost any artist, I guess. Yep. And it's got it's got a little tiresome. I was like, I'd like to have a steady paycheck, you know? Sure, sure. It'd be cool just to like sit back and just draw what crap for a while. And yeah, just, yeah. No pressure. Yeah. So I had this in my head that, you know, when I finish this, someone's going to come call on. It'll work out. I'm trusting God. You know, this mm-hmm. is what I want, et cetera, et cetera. So I finish and it's just crickets. No one's calling. You know, there's... How, how was the response to your grand finale? And you know, there wasn't a huge response. So you're like... It was weird. I mean, from my close friends and a couple of f- close fans that I've gotten to know, they I got that feedback. But as far as the mainstream comic press, it was almost uh, ignored in a weird way. I thought this is odd. So it was just, I kind of hit this weird, 
wall and I kind of plunged into this another, I didn't know, I was very confused. Like, this is, what is going on? This is not what I, how I pictured yeah. this would be. You know, I finished this thing and I thought, I told killed the, it. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I thought I did the story. I mean, it's really tried to, you know, stay true to my faith. And the whole reason I did this whole thing was, you know, to put, you know, put that in a story in a way that was not cheesy. Yeah. It was, you know, that was like with skill, yeah. best I could be, be a work of art. And also a statement of truth. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought, you know, I did the, I thought I did the, all, the, all the right things, you know? Well, I mean, I made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I thought my heart was in the right place. So anyway, I spin it out of control. I don't know what's, what I'm supposed to do next. I'm just like, this is, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So, and, and a, a job offer came along from a company, which I will remain nameless. And basically it would have required me to compromise in a lot of ways. Okay. Even though I could technically do my story, it was still a bit of compromise. It was. A, it would have been a new story. So it would have been a compromise, and the and so I was justifying it in my head, saying, "Well, God wants me to support my family, right? right. This is a paying gig, so it should be okay, right?" But man, I struggled with it. It just yeah. wasn't feeling right. And the more I saw from this company, the more I was like, "This isn't what I want to do. I can't be on this." And so yeah. I had to. Kind of, I said, "Okay, guys, I gotta. I gotta back out of this. I can't." Man, you can't make yourself. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're not feeling that, man, right? Especially, I mean, we're talking spiritually. You were feeling like that was not. not it was. Lining yeah, up. I couldn't get peace about it. I kept yeah. trying to justify it, rationalize Your it. Your art's going to suck ass if you're trying to do that. You know what yeah. I mean? Honestly, dude, you know, if you're trying to like just to p- get paid or whatever, but you're still going against what you believe, mm-hmm. it's not going to be good art at all. Right. <laughs> so I make the tough decision to turn down, you know, money yeah, and yeah. say, <sighs> so then I'm like even more like, what the hell am I supposed to be doing? Which brings us to, well, I should, well, also, um, Back to image though, real quick. They had proved the um, Data Seventeen All in One Edition, which okay. I've been aiming for this whole time. The the big package with everything in it. Yeah. So I have that coming, but um, other than that, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and then I get an email out of the blue from someone and basically changes course of my year. And I came to a lot of realizations, you know, and God basically showing me that my focus is in the wrong place, huh. you know, that I was chasing after the wrong things as far as like, you know, acclaim, fame, money, whatever I was thinking, I thought I was after, you know, that's not the direction he wanted for me. And he showed it to me pretty blatantly by this um, new opportunity that came up. And so it has been an amazing roller coaster since then. I don't know what's going to happen. And this is the thing that you uh, that you cannot talk about. I cannot officially talk about it right now. What you can talk about though is is the decision that this future project yes you have peace about. That's got to be a, a, a sense of accomplishment in and of itself to say, okay, I'm not going to do this thing that's that I just don't I just can't f- get behind. And then you kind of take a little step of faith, which is not a very popular thing to do. And that was uh, you you find yourself. At, on, on the the brink of something totally different with a higher potential than you maybe were anticipating. Yeah, and at the risk of spoiling it, well, don't do that. Well, I'm gonna try to be tread carefully here. <laughs> um, a couple of points along the way, there have been offers on my book, you know, to do things with it, you know, lucrative things, uh, and they had all fell through. You yeah. know, always something didn't work out. You know, so when people come calling with like these grand ideas. You know, you're always hesitant. I've heard this before. Yeah. You know, this yeah. and that or the other. So, NEH, too. Nothing ever happens. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So it was just, to, I thought this is just another, here we go again. Yeah. But whatever. But wrote it out and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I would say, now in, in the midst of this, now you've had another child. So you have, you're up to right. three kids now. How old is Luke? Luke is 18. 
get the heck out of here. Yeah. Holy crap. About to graduate this year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you have an 18-year-old uh-huh. uh, and you have... An eight-year-old. An eight-year-old and a... Two and a half. <laughs> We're going to stretch it out, man. Yeah. Yeah. But Dead at 17 is something that you need to know, right? And this, this book... Are we allowed to talk about the book? Yeah, absolutely. The book is coming out and it's all of the story. Yes. And it would behoove you to find it and jump in there. And then, uh, you know, send Josh's, Josh some emails and tell him, you know, give him some love because he didn't get shit the first time around. <laughs> all right. Are you happy with the packaging and everything ultimately? I, I mean, am very happy with it. I worked very hard on it. I mean, it still took a lot of work. Even though everything's done, you still have to yeah. go through, edit it, and add do the bonus material. I mean, it's I put a lot of love a lot of work into it, so I'm very proud of it. And then, you know, the next time you go to uh, a Comic-Con and you see Josh there, you just pull out one of your copies of uh, How to Live with a Curse and get him to sign some of those things in there, too, so that he knows that other people saw it. Well, I think that's awesome, man, and I think it's... I'm, I'm proud of you, dude. I'm stoked for you. It sounds like you've, you know, you didn't, uh, you didn't poop out when you could have, and uh, I don't know, you stayed the course, and I'm stoked for you, dude, that you... Stuck to your guns, you know. Well, it's going, going back to the, that dark breed I said I had, you know, following my uh, divorce. Mm-hmm. Why didn't God answer me? Because he had all this for me, you know. Okay. It's something better for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. And it took me a while to realize that, you know, I was like, look around, look what you've, what you've got from all that. So, all yeah. Right. Yeah. Ah, yes. Josh Howard, don't you feel like maybe you should stop making excuses? Do that thing you've been meaning to do? I do. I will. I am. To the business end of things, I asked Josh to send me some of the songs he'd like to accompany his show. One of the first was a song, For Always, by MXPX off of Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo. Uh, I played this song in preparation for the show and it just, man, it hit me. I haven't felt a wave of nostalgia like that wash over me in a long time. It was significant to Josh's story, as I think you know now, uh, but mine also. And, uh, hey, mixed pixers, miss you boys. Those were some great times. I played Chick Magnet off of uh, Life in General uh, of my own volition, because for the time period, I just felt like that song was the mid-90s for a lot of us. We also heard Blue Collar Love off of Starflyer 59's Silver. Night Town off of Stavesacre's Split EP with Dennis and Mars. That was the version of the song relevant to Josh's feel-good meetup with his lady. Thought that was uh, maybe a version you hadn't heard before. And finally, we heard God Forsaken by Demon Hunter. And yes, after this little goodbye message, a song from an album that was hugely impactful to Josh at the time of its release, and frankly, to me and some of my friends. And we're talking regular rotation on Stave Zaker Tours in the 90s. I'll take any opportunity to play the good stuff. Name the artist, name the album, name the year. And why didn't this equate to huge stardom? I don't know. Anyway, had to find a way to get it in there. Uh, you can pick up Dead at 17 at your local comic store or hit up Josh on Twitter at Joshua Howard. There are links there to anything and everything Dead at 17 and all the information about what Josh was working on right now. Uh, Dead at 17 Rebirth, the web series, links on there as well. So let them know. Let them know you heard this. Look for it on uh, YouTube and pass it on. 
This show is produced by Billy Power of Urban Achievers Studios. This episode and all past episodes can be found on iTunes or at iNeverWas.com. You can email the show at thetwilightsown at iNeverWas.com. Once again, there are no Zs in there. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Never Was Podcast. Until next week, thank you. Thanks for listening. Hang tight for a wash of 90s awesomeness. Be good. Rainbow out.